One year, at the beginning of the 14th century, on January 21st, the Orthros service ended at the Holy Monastery of Batopedi on Mount Athos. The monks retired to their cells to rest until their daily tasks began. Then the gate of the monastery would be opened. What the fathers of the monastery did not know was that pirates were lurking outside the gates of the monastery. They had surrounded it, ready to invade, loot and destroy the monastery. The abbot of the monastery was alone in the church, devoted to his prayer. He jumped suddenly when he heard a voice which did not sound human. Frightened, he looked around, but he saw no one. Besides, no one else was inside the church. And yet someone spoke. He paid attention and, full of fear, realized that the voice came from the icon of the Mother of God. Reverently, he strained his ear to listen. He then heard the voice of the Virgin Mary saying, do not open the gate of the monastery today, but climb the walls and chase away the pirates. Amazed, the abbot fixed his eyes on the image of the Virgin. Then he saw an amazing miracle. The image of the Virgin Mary was alive. Christ, who she was holding in her arms as an infant, was also alive. He moved his right hand and closed the mouth of his holy mother, turning his bright face towards her. A sweet child's voice was heard saying, don't mother, don't tell them. Let them be punished as they deserve for neglecting their monastic duties. Then the Lady Theotokos, with great motherly care towards her only begotten son, raised her hand slightly, held his little hand, tilted her holy face a little to the right, and repeated more strongly, Do not open the gate of the monastery today, but after you have gone up onto the walls, drive out the pirates and look to repent because my son is angry with you. She repeated the warning a third time, and after this the Theotokos and Christ were again restored as an icon. The abbot, filled with admiration, called together all the fathers, told them the supernatural events that happened, and repeated to them the words he had heard from the lips of the Banahia and the divine child to his mother. Everyone turned in amazement towards the miraculous image and their astonishment increased. The image had been transformed. It had completely changed and looked nothing like the old picture. Banahia was now holding Christ's hand under her mouth and tilting her head to the right to avoid it. Her facial expression is full of infinite mercy, love, sympathy, and motherly affection. Although Christ is represented as an infant, he has a stern face as a judge. This icon is considered not made with hands, or a hiropiitos, because it was made in the form it is today, not by human hands, but by the grace of God after the miraculous intervention to save the monastery. The icon was called Banahia Paramithia, meaning comforter. The sight of the sweet expression on the face of the Banahia rests, calms, and comforts the human soul. The icon was transferred to the special chapel of Paramithia. In front of her, the monks keep a candle lit at all times, chant the Paraklisi service every day, 
and celebrate our Divine Liturgy every Friday. This series on the icons of Banahia seeks to present the stories behind many of the icons of the Mother of God that are present throughout the Orthodox world. We will explore their histories, the miracles worked through these icons, and how we can benefit spiritually from learning about and contemplating these icons. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of unique miracle-working icons of Banahia. This series won't be able to cover all of them, but we'll be focusing on the main types of icons of the Mother of Our Lord and some of the better-known icons. But why are there so many icons of Banahia? As the Mother of God, she played and continues to play a central role in our salvation. Father George Fularovsky wrote the following on the place of the Theotokos within the Church. Incorporation into Christ, which is the essence of the Church and of the whole Christian experience, is first of all an incorporation into his sacrificial love for mankind. And here there is a special place for her who is united with the Redeemer in the unique intimacy of motherly affection and devotion. The Mother of God is truly the common mother of all living, of the whole Christian race, born or reborn in the spirit and truth. The Church invites the faithful and helps them to grow spiritually into these mysteries of faith, which are as well the mysteries of their own existence and spiritual destiny. In the Church, they learn to contemplate and to adore the living Christ, together with the whole assembly and Church of the Firstborn, which are written in heaven. And in this glorious assembly, they discern the eminent person of the Virgin Mother of the Lord and Redeemer, full of grace and love, of charity and compassion. St. John of Damascus writes that every icon makes clear and demonstrates something hidden. The many icons of Banahia reveal the many graces that she has received. They reveal her love for humanity and the many ways in which she constantly intercedes for us before her Son and our God. Likewise, it is the love of the faithful for the Mother of God that sees so many icons of the Theotokos being made. When the faithful venerate these icons, they come to know and love Banahia, and again quoting St. John of Damascus, we are filled with desire and zeal for what is good. One icon which bears witness to the love that the people have for the Theotokos is the icon of Panagia Portaitisa. Some speculate that this icon was among the first icons painted by St. Luke the Evangelist. It was originally kept, according to tradition, in Nicaea in Asia Minor. There, a pious woman with her only son placed it in their private church and honoured it. During the years of iconoclasm, royal spies discovered the icon and threatened the woman with death if she did not bribe them. She promised that she would give them the money the next day. That night, after praying before the icon, she lifted it reverently, went down to the beach and threw it into the sea, saying, Lady Theotokos, you have the power to save us from the wrath of the king, but also your image from being swallowed up. Then, something truly amazing happened. The miraculous image stood on the waves and headed west. Moved by the event, the woman turned to her son and said, My child, I am ready to die for the love of Banahia. Flee, go to Greece. Without delay, the child got ready and set off for Thessaloniki, and from there for Mount Athos, where he became a monk. As a monk, he practiced asceticism in the place where the monastery of Iviron was later founded. 
This was God's providence, because this is how the other monks were informed of the history of the miraculous icon. Many years passed and the monk from Nicaea died, and the Eviron monastery was founded and completed. It was evening when the monk saw a strange sight, a pillar of fire that started from the sea and reached the sky. The vision continued for many days and nights. The brothers went down to the beach and saw with great amazement that at the base of the pillar of fire there was an image of the Virgin Mary. But as they approached her, she moved away. They then gathered in the church and begged the Lord with tears to give this priceless treasure to their monastery. Among the monks there was a pious ascetic named Gabriel. The Virgin Mary appeared to him and said, Tell the abbot and the brothers that I will give you my icon so that it will protect you. You will then enter the sea, you will walk on the waves, and thus everyone will understand my favour for your monastery. And so it happened. Father Gabriel walked on the sea as if on dry land, reverently received the miraculous icon and returned to the beach. All the monks gathered there gave her an honourable welcome. They then took her and placed her on the holy altar of the Catholicon, the main church of the monastery. When the priest went to light the candles the next day, the icon was missing. He searched everywhere and discovered her on the wall, above the gate of the monastery. They returned it to the Catholicon, but the ink icon disappeared again. This was repeated several times. Finally, the Banaya presented herself to the elder Gabriel and said to him, Tell the brothers not to bother me. I did not come here to protect myself from you, but to protect you. Those of you who live virtuously on this mount hope in the mercy of my son, because as long as there is my image in your monastery, his grace and mercy will always overshadow you. After that, the monks built a chapel near the gate and placed the holy icon there. That is why the icon is called Bordaitisa, which translates to gatekeeper. To this day, Banahia Bordaitisa, as she promised, protects the monastery and provides for its every need. But this is not where the icon's story ends. One day, a thief left a mark on the cheek of the Holy Virgin. Blood then started to run down the cheek of Banahia and terrified the robber. He repented of his ways and took up the life of a holy ascetic. Since then, many copies of the Bordaitisa, also known as the Viron icon of the Mother of God, have depicted her with a scar and drops of blood on her cheek. A copy of the icon was made by the monks of Iviron and sent to the Russian Tsar in the 17th century as the monastery was experiencing hardship. This icon healed the daughter of the Tsar of her paralysis and the grateful Tsar provided a continuing source of income for the monastery. Other miraculous Iviron icons can be found throughout the world and there are always large crowds of people queuing to venerate these icons out of their love for the Theotokos. St. John of Damascus wrote that when we venerate an icon, we do not honour the wood of the icon but the person depicted. This is of course the case for Panagia, who we honour through the countless icons that have been made depicting her. However, our veneration must extend beyond the physical aspects of veneration, such as prostrating before the icon and kissing it. We must live in a way that shows true veneration. St. Mary of Egypt, a notorious sinner prior to her repentance, was going to Jerusalem to venerate the Holy Cross but did not have the proper motives. At the doors of the church, 
she felt an invisible force preventing her from entering. She looked up and saw the icon of the Mother of God, and after she cried tears of repentance, committing herself to a changed life, she was allowed to enter the church. This is true veneration, to see an icon and turn away from sin. So, when you next approach an icon, take a moment to reflect on why you're venerating it. Reflect on how you can become like the holy person depicted in the icon and pray. Reflect on how you would feel if you were approaching the person and not the image. More specifically to Panagia, one should reflect on her virtues, her humility, her purity, her love for humanity, her obedience, and so many other virtues, and think about how to acquire those virtues. That concludes this episode of the Icons of Panagia. In our next episode, we will be delving into the icon of Panagia of Yitria, the first Christian icon which was painted by St. Luke the Evangelist.